Well, good morning. <clears throat> it's been a nice weekend. I can't remember a Fourth of July weekend where you actually wanted to go outside. Um, <laughs> usually, it's really hot, but I'm really thankful that God gives us good weather and um, that we always have an opportunity to take in the beauty of the world that He created, so that we can remember what's most important, and is that's uh, a walk with Him and knowing Him. If you'll stand with me this morning, read the Word of the Lord to us this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, <clears throat> the end of verse 33, and through verse 36. As in all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they they are not permitted to speak, but are subject to themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? Lord, I pray that as we go through this passage this morning, a passage that is not popular today in the church or in our world, that I would be faithful to what your word says and what you intended for us to understand from it. Lord, I pray that we would find our strength and our hope in you and your word and not in our own strength or in uh, the country that we live in or uh, the church that we're a part of, Father, but our strength would be in being in Christ. Lord, for that is what matters. Lord, help us to submit our wills and our thoughts to your word this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, and I pray that you would help us to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure as we were reading, you were thinking, oh man, I bet some feminists would have loved to have been here this morning, (laughs) right? Uh, This is not a popular text. Um, That's the the joy of preaching through a passage of Scripture versus picking passages out, because you get stuck with passages like this. I don't think it's stuck. I think it's the will of God. God wants us to know His whole Word so that we can apply it to our lives. Um, And this passage is one of the most controversial, especially since the feminist movement, um, and there are so many interpretations of this. Just in one commentary that I read, he put out four or five, and he said there's a there's so many more than what he he addressed. But it's so interesting. Many people try to take this passage and say, "Well, you know, we need to save Paul from himself. He he was stuck in his culture and." He, he just messed up. Like he, he was in a misogynistic culture and he just couldn't have understood this. And so if he had been living today, he wouldn't have said this. Or another, some people will say, well, this was actually added after. Like it just doesn't make sense why it would be in this context. Which at first sight, you know, he's talking about prophecy and tongues and the gifts moving in the church and order in the church. And at first it seems like, well, why is this small little snippet here? But it applies to order. It's not an accident that Paul has it here. 
in this text. So when people say, well, I don't know that it's actually here in Scripture, I would argue there is a reason for this. There's a reason. It's not without reason. God always places things in His Word that we don't totally understand or that even to our independent American um, sensibilities does not sit well with us. We don't realize how much our culture is shaping some of the ways that we think. So what exactly is Paul talking about here? Well, I, I want to first this morning look at Genesis chapter 2. Because I think when Paul says, just as the law also says in verse 34, I believe he's referring to this passage. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Because Paul is not pulling this idea out of nowhere. Paul is teaching us in light of God's created order from the beginning. And if you look at me, look with me at verse, we'll just start at verse 20. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So, interestingly, Adam saw all that God had created, but there was no one who was suitable as a helper for him. So, God... Verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then this is what I believe Paul is referring to in, in that passage in verse 34. But here in verse 24 of Genesis 2, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and woman were both naked and were not ashamed. So we see here this picture of uh, the woman coming from the man, God creating her to be a what? A suitable helper. This, this flies in the face of most cultural norms today, right? It's, that doesn't mean that a man can't stay at home and help with the kids. That's not what I'm saying. But the intention of God's creation of man and woman was for the woman to be a helpmeet for the husband. That's not a slave. I think today we translate the word help meet slave in almost all common translations. Well, if I have to help, then I must be a slave. And that's not right. Because what does Paul say in Timothy? He says, the, I think it's Timothy. He says, you sh- the husband should love the wife like Christ loved the church. Did Christ make the church a slave? No, Christ gave His life. 
He died on the cross for his church. And so us husbands, we need to question our own motives in the way that we treat our wives in light of that, right? Because if we aren't loving our wives as Christ loved the church, maybe we think our wives should be slaves. So I believe Paul is grounding what he's saying here in Genesis chapter 2. He's using Genesis chapter 2 to make his argument here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He's not just throwing out an opinion. But what is... what? And this is where the context is really important. Like, why does he say it right here? Like, why, why is this so important? Because if you'll turn with me, I want us to see why there's so much argument that Paul needs help. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you'll turn there with me, Let's read from verse 1. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions, just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman. Okay, we're seeing this headship principle. And God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image of image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. And we, this principle is coming straight from Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. What? We don't need Independence Day for men or Independence Day for for women? No, we are one. When God puts us together, that goes back to Genesis chapter 2. Right? We are... when. A man is joined to a wife, they are one. There is no separation. That doesn't mean you can't have a break from one another at moments. Need a breather. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. Judge yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. And this is where we get the principle of the head covering. 
But here we see that the woman is, we see prophecy and prayer both here. So if, if the woman, this is talking about the gathering of believers together. This isn't talk about every day. I mean, some, that's where the Mennonites get their view. But, so if we take that, then people come here and say, well, see, they can pray and prophesy in the church on, in chapter 11, but here in chapter 14, he's saying they can't even speak. Well, how are they supposed to pray if they can't even speak? Is it possible that Paul is addressing a specific speech about of a specific thing? And I believe so. Because if you look in the context, Paul is giving directions and order to prophecy most specifically, as well as tongues. Right? So if we go up to verse... Uh, th- let's look, start, look at 29. Starting in verse 29, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others, who are the others? The church as a whole, pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to, an- to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. This is the exact same phrase that is found here in verse 34. Keep silent. Exact exactly the same. It's a command. It's not an optional thing. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches. I think, again, this is Based on what I see in Scripture, because we're taking, we're not just taking 1 Corinthians alone, right? We, we want to see what does Paul say, you know, when we're studying a passage to understand the context, we first need to look at the, the book that we're looking at, the, the near context, and then we need to expand it. Okay, what does the New Testament say about women's roles? Then, then what does the whole Bible say about the role of women in the church? Because if we're not careful, we come up with doctrines that are actually in con- contrary to other passages. And so, when we come here, it's difficult because we don't understand what's going on. And that's why it's so important to see the context. What, what is Paul saying? Paul is talking about prophecy... And I believe that when he says to keep silent in the churches, I believe this silence is about the weighing of prophecy. Determining, as a church, if a prophecy is of truth from God. That's what I believe he's referring to. It makes sense if you see the wedge, because... Here in verse, up to verse 33, he's talking about prophecy. And then in verse 37, he says, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. So why would Paul wedge this passage, this section on women's role in this order right here, unless it was specifically applied to prophecy? And we know that women were prophets, not only in 
the Old Testament, but there's proof in the New Testament of women prophets. Or at least prophesying. And what about Acts chapter 3? Joel. What does it say? Your sons and daughters. Not just sons. It's without distinction. And so I believe that what Paul is talking about here is silence when it comes to determining the, the validity of a prophecy. That's all that he, I believe he's addressing here. Because, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject to themselves, just as the law also says. Going back to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, it says then in verse 35, if they desire to learn anything, that word learn is the same word that when used differently can be, when it's used as a noun, is a disciple. So if they want to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. So what's their their role is, so if they want to know about this prophecy and to question, see, question, ask about this prophecy, then they do it at home with their husbands. Because why? Their husband is the authority in their home, the spiritual authority. They should be, Right? If a man is unwilling to take that role, that's a responsibility on them. I, I've met many women who have felt the responsibility to lead their home spiritually because their husbands, whether maybe they became a Christian, their husband still isn't, or for whatever reason. But that doesn't mean that that's the order that God has created. Because then he says, for it is impro- improper for a woman to speak in church. That word improper is actually better translated, and this, is, this would really make feminists angry, disgraceful. Is he saying at all times? No, because Paul has already said that women prophesy and pray in church. So obviously, this can't apply to everything unless we just take it completely here and then we make a doctrine out of it. There are churches that if you're a woman and you go in, you're not allowed to talk till you get home. I mean, you could be very strict in this. I, I don't believe that that's the case. And I think this is where Paul is getting this. So look with me at 1 Timothy Chapter 2. I believe it's 1 Timothy. So, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is giving Timothy instructions on uh, prayer, the roles of women in the church, the roles of elders, overseers, and deacons in the church. And when he talks to him, he says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. So, this is a very controversial text to some. Is he saying that women should not have braided hair 
that they shouldn't wear gold or pearls or costly garments? No. Actually, what he's saying is that they should not be seeking to gain the attention of others through those things. That they should adorn themselves, right? He says, but rather by means of good works as as is proper for a woman making a claim to godliness. That we don't know that someone is a godly person by the pearls and the braided hair and the gold or the costly garments they wear. We know it by their works, the way they live. So we don't determine whether a woman is of God by the clothes she wears and what she's what kind of earrings on, come she has on. You know, if the Queen of England walked in here, we wouldn't say, well, that, that woman is a godly woman if anyone is because look at the jewels she has and the amazing clothing that she has. And No, we wouldn't determine that she is a godly woman by that. But often, isn't that how the church does it? <sighs> Let's put the wealthy women in leadership roles because they dress nice, they, they have all these things, but in reality, we don't know what their lives look like. Anyways. Verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but it, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For, this 13, verse 13 is going back to Genesis chapter 2. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So, verse 12, going back here of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. I think this principle can be applied here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And this is why I've come to the conclusion that I have here. Again, I've said there are many interpretations of this text the majority of them try to, f- to help Paul out. And I think that's problematic. As Christians, we should not have to help the Apostle Paul fix his problems. You know why? Because this is the Word of God. Yes, Paul wrote it, but God, through Paul, wrote it. And he's preserved it for us to see today and to read. So our question is, okay, Paul, you have it here. We see it's sandwiched in conversation about prophecy. So what could it be? When we are weighing prophecy, what are we determining about that prophecy? Whether it is authoritative, right? So the church, when the church passes judgment on a prophecy, the church is laying down authoritatively whether that prophecy should or should not be received. And so when Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, says, I do not allow women to, to teach with authority over men or exercise authority over men. I believe this is why he says that right here. That when in weighing of prophecy, that would be problematic. So imagine 
Let's say Joel prophesied today, which would be great, and Laura came in and said, "Uh, I don't think that was from the Lord. We should not accept that. How would it be when they got home? (laughs) That'd be a little subversion of the, the spiritual leadership, right? And I think that's why he directly addresses wives. Now, does that mean that uh, single women should speak up in? I don't believe so, because they would still be under the authority of their fathers. But um, I do believe that that's kind of the principle that Paul's coming from. He's coming from that this would be an authoritative role in the church. That doesn't mean that the wife might not get home and talk to her husband and say, hey, they said this in a problem. I don't understand that. And then the husband could go to the church and say, you know, me and my wife were talking about this, and we, she made some good points that I think we should consider. That's, that's totally what? She is submitting to her husband and letting him take the role of addressing an issue in the church. That, that, honestly, that should be how we do a lot of things. I think it would fix a lot of uh, relationship problems um, in the church. So, I know this isn't a a hugely exciting passage to preach from, but I I think we always need to be looking back to, okay, Lord, how did you create our world? How did you create men and women? What is the role that we have? What is my role as a man? What is your role as a, a woman? How are we to relate to one another? And how does that affect our relationship at the church when we're together? Because that is what God is doing. He is returning us to a scriptural way of understanding our roles as men and women. And that is not popular today. I mean, just think about... I mean. We're being told we need to wait till our kids can self-identify. What we're talking about today is just like a, a front, an affront to everything that our world believes. You can do whatever you want as long as it feels good. Just do what you, you know, you be you. It was like listening to an interview the other day of there was a, a young athlete who decided she didn't want to um, stand in honor of the American flag, and the one who won the won the event, who's had many had grandparent a grandparent uh, an uncle a, f- a good friend serve in the military. Um, she's like, "You do you, and I do me." Like talking about her conversation with her that friend. I'm like. And this girl's this this girl who's one is almost crying about how thankful she is for the sacrifices that these men have made for her to have the freedoms that she has and it's like oh so it's just okay it's not a big deal and it, it just kind of showed me like as Christians our primary source is the word of God he's given it to us to live by to draw us to Christ. 
And when we live according to His Word, through the power of His Holy Spirit, we will experience joy, peace, happiness. Yeah, there, that doesn't mean there's not going to be trials. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be persecution. It just means that in the midst of those things, we know the truth and the truth has set us free from pain that is because we're looking forward to our heavenly home. I talked about this last week. Um, and that's why I, I am more and more drawn to the Word of God as our source of hope because we have the truth of God's Word before us. And while this passage about women keeping silent and, as I believe, not being allowed in the church to weigh prophecy among the, the gathered assembly, isn't, it's not a popular text, but it's necessary. We need to know what the Word of God says. And whenever God puts these things before us, it's a good reminder to us that God has a role for each and every one of us. And I do believe that God, through His Spirit, will begin to manifest His gifts in our church and that He will use men and women and that He will magnify Himself through it and for His glory. Well, it's a short passage, so you got a short Independence Day uh, message. Next week, we'll finish up this series on spiritual gifts. Um, and I, I think we're going to start a series in Psalms. So, not the whole book. That would be a while. We'll just do Psalm 119. That'll take long enough. <laughs> but, uh, so, let's pray and uh, end this service. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a faithful God that we can bring to you our requests and hear and know that you hear our voice. We thank you that you're still in the business of healing, that you, Lord, still care for our needs. And Lord, we thank you that you address all things in your word. You're not afraid, Lord, to be condemned as uh, out of touch with our world. God, you created our world and you know what is best for us. And so I pray, Lord, that we as a church would continue to come to your word to find truth, that we would rely on your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to what your word teaches. I pray, Father, that your hand would continue to guide each and every one of us. Lord, give us a hunger and thirst for you and your word, for a relationship with you, that intimacy, Lord, that creates new life in other believers. Lord, I pray that you would awaken in us a deeper longing to see the lost saved. Father, while there's still freedom uh, to share our faith, I pray that you would help us not to be afraid, but to be uh, encouraged to share the good news with our lost neighbors and friends and acquaintances and people at the supermarket. Lord, guide us, we pray. Help us to find our strength and hope in you. We just pray, Lord, that as we go today, that you would bless us with peace and joy. Lord, that you would protect those of us who will be um, 
a part of any kind of Fourth of July celebrations, that no one would be injured or uh, hurt, but it would just be a good day of relaxing. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that we have in this country, the freedoms that cost the lives of men and women who were willing to lay down their lives so that their loved ones could experience freedom from oppression. Lord, I pray that you would show mercy on our nation today or that oppressors would not begin to be given the right to reign and rule in our our country. But, Lord, in it all, we know you are sovereign. We know that you are God. So, Lord, we pray that you would uh, work in our nation to bring about revival. And, Lord, I pray now for the leaders of our nation Father, those we agree with and those we disagree with, we pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom, that they would make decisions that are good for your people and good for our nation. Lord, I pray that you would bless them with encouragement. Lord, help us as a church to not speak evil of our rulers, but instead, Lord, to pray for them when those thoughts come can arise, Father. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless us with the opportunity to meet without fear of persecution. But if that day comes, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us to do so anyways. Go with us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.